Welcome back to the DJ Sessions, where we feature the best producers and DJs from around the world. I'm your host, Darren, and right now we're on the virtual sessions, and I'm all the way in Seattle, Washington, with none other than Sunburn coming in from L.A. How's it going today? Going well, man. Pouring rain outside, so I'm stuck in here. Can't you know, up. last time I was in L.A. was just a short little stint ago. came down, did a little bucket list item with a friend of mine he had never been to a theme park so i took him to magic mountain for his first time oh, dude, hell yeah <laughs> my girlfriend just got me season passes for christmas that's like my shit yeah i know i mean i i'm a season ticket holder i don't make it down there as often as i want but i have a funny story about getting to magic mountain as a kid um i tried to get there three times and every time i went something tragic happened oh no and finally it was for my 40th birthday i managed to make it down there I got fast passes. I went on every ride. I walked around that park so much. I got chafing in between my legs. I had to go to the first aid booth, but it was an amazing experience. The water park next door is awesome. Uh, my friend and I had a great time down there. The weather was beautiful while we were down there and there was almost no one in the park. We didn't need fast passes, which That's was awesome. Day a weekday. All right, I have to ask, yeah. what's your favorite ride? Uh, you know, I want to say X2. Um, you know, just cause that was the first, my first kind of thrill ride I went on. Um, you know, I did like, the, I did like the new race car one. The race car one wasn't there when I was there last. And that was a few years ago. Gosh, maybe was that seven years ago? Shit. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, a few of the rides were closed down. I did like Superman, you know, that was a fun one. Um, you know, it's, it's, a lot of them. I finally got the. What's the one when you walk into where the stage is? There's a there's a band that play on the stage right when you kind of walk in and you go to the right and it goes forward and then it comes it does it in like backwards. Full throttle. Full throttle. Yeah. Full throttle is pretty intense. Great. Yeah, that was a pretty intense one. I did. I do like. Is it Tetsu? The Tetsu is the one where you fight oh, like the, fly. The flying one. Yeah, you fly me, like that. Me, it's that one and Goliath. Like, Goliath. Yeah. That's here. like the first one I always go on. I got, I got it right, right here. There's the picture. Oh, wait, can, can we see it? There's a. Oh shoot! Hang on. Let me, let me just do this really quick. This is my friend Sergi. He's been one of my, one of my favorite resident DJs for a number of years. Been on the show, appearing and everything. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show this picture. He had a little trouble. It was his first time going to theme parks, but that's us going down Goliath. <laughs> Like he's like his eyes are all shut. I'm like, yeah. Oh, We're showing theme park photos. Hold on, I gotta grab this off the fridge. I just got this one like a month. <laughs> <laughs> this was at Knott's Berry Farm. There we go. The Pony Express. Whoa, is that you? Oh, is that you with the headshot? Like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't know where the cameras were when they took it. That is like them. my favorite thing. Of like, I've been on all these rides because I've lived in Southern California my whole life. Mm -hmm. I know where all the cameras are and just like doing like, I've like one on the log ride where I took like the shirt over my head and like, oh man, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, we bought the, I just bought the whole pass of all the photos in the park. I think I still go back and get, get most of them, but fun time exciting thrills exciting rides uh can't wait to get back down there again um you know it's it's uh, i haven't done knott's berry farm 
Uh, I actually lived a stint. I lived in Anaheim for a small moment as a, as a, as a teenager. And I remember being there and talking to all the kids and they were like, I'm like, this is so exciting. You must get to go to Disneyland all the time. And they're like, we stay as far away as we can from Disneyland. <laughs> you know, just the tourism that, you know, yeah, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. something they did Even all the time. As a family, like I have so much, uh, so much, so many cousins and stuff um, in Huntington and Newport. So like always during summer, we would go to Knott's a couple times and then go to like, what is it? Like Soak City, the water mm-hmm. park. Yeah. And it's like super close. Um, and it's so clean. And like, it's just, it's a great little like, little hidden gem in like the middle of the city yeah it's and and you seem to be on that kind of thrill seeking adrenaline rush kind of thing i was looking through your instagrams did you just go skydiving recently yeah so i i had like a month off and i'm like talking to my chick i'm like yo like i don't know what to do like i I, i'm not we're not gonna do any shows like i've been writing music all year so it's like all right and then something came up about bungee jumping. And then like I looked into it and there's this like these guys that do it out on this place called the Bridge to Nowhere, which is like a five mile hike above Pomona. And like, we're like, okay, fuck, like, let's go like do the whole hike, get up there. And then it was just like the freakiest thing ever staying on this ledge doing it. But then after, cause like you, you have to force yourself to jump off. Like it, and it's, it, so much goes through your head and after that we're like fuck i'm like my whole family my whole family like my sister my dad my mom they've all done this and they've all been skydiving after that i was like all right i know what we're doing next weekend so like, i called up this place in santa barbara and like rallied the troops i was like guys like we're going and we're wearing onesies so then <laughs> yeah Oh, I was going to ask you about the onesies in just a few moments. I recently just went skydiving for my first time a few months ago as well. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody on Facebook said, hey, I want to go do this for bucket list. I'm getting close to 40. I've never done this before. Who wants to go with me? And unfortunately, nobody was chiming in to say, I want to go. I want to go. And I go, you know what? I kind of got in that yes man phase. Like, I'll go with you. And she called up and thought that we had to do the class. Before we went, she didn't know you could do class day of, so we canceled. And then morning of, it was a Friday morning, she says, Darren, I just found out we don't have to take, we take the class on site. We go that day. You still want to go? I'm like, all right, you sons of bitches, I'm in. You know, as, as, as you know, they would say to Rick and Rick and Morty, you know, <laughs> you son of a bitch, I'm in. I'm in. And, and so it's like, boom, I went up and I went, Scott, man, the anxiety of just, and then what was crazy is where, where it happened is it was flying over where I grew up. So the city I grew up in, which is just a little north of Seattle, and um, the plane just taking off and kind of going up and around and just seeing the, your whole hometown, like from an aerial view that you've never seen before. I've seen Seattle 100 times flying planes, maybe not 100 times, but enough flying in and out of SeaTac Airport. But seeing up north my and going, I used to live right there. That's my neighborhood right there. That's where I went to school. And you could see all this. And then you're like, wait a second, I'm about to jump out of this fucking plane. Like what, 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 what? And you know, I thought, wait, was it tandem or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Total tandem has to be your first jumps here. And, uh, and so, you know, I thought the guy was going to give me the, you know, let me like sit on the edge of the plane for like just a second. So I was like, I'm like, I'm getting in position. I have my hand on the side here and he's like, no, no, take off your hand. And right when I, I wasn't like holding on tight or scared. I was just like moving myself. And right as I got like, he moved my hand away. 
poop, we were out of the plane. Oh. I was like, and I got the 60 second free fall, not the 30 yeah. second one. So I yeah, was yeah. like, and the video made and all that. I was, oh, that was amazing. I mean, amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure doing the bungee jumping, compare the two. Bungee jumping versus skydiving, which do you think is more, how do you say, contains or has more anxiety to it? I would say the bungee. Um, But I guess it would differ if I was actually jumping out of an airplane and had to pull my own chute and do that shit. Because, (laughs) like, with the bungee, there's, like, it's a, well, skydiving, it was, like, a 15-minute video. And they're, like, all right, get in the plane. Let's go. I'm, like, okay. Like, and then bungee jumping, it's like, this is how you have to like correctly jump. And then when you jump, you have to make sure then you roll out and always go out and big. And like, cause you have to like, I mean, we watch a lot of people kind of mess it up, but if you just go straight out, you slingshot back up. And if you do it wrong, you slingshot, like, I mean, it would be really, really hard to do it, but like slingshot into the bridge and stuff like that. So like, it's all like you get up there and then you're like, fuck, I have to like do this correctly and not only do it correctly, but like leap off like this little platform on a bridge. So it's like you like forget how to jump. I mean, I, I got a good jump in, but like you forget how to jump when you're like, yeah, all the way up there. And that one is like I was trying to figure out why, because like skydiving, you don't get that like gnarly pit in your stomach for like. Like bungee, like I, I like my stomach was in my throat from the second I was on the edge, and I, your body is just going through because it knows what's gonna happen, and you also have like zero to nothing versus like you said skydiving. Like half the girls like they didn't even go to the edge; they're just like, "All right, guys, ready?" and then dove out with them. Like so, it, it's two completely different things. Um, I mean, bungee jumping was way more scary. Uh, I think Scott, I got to really, really enjoy it um, and relax a little more. Cause like, I knew that someone was there to, you know, mind the safety precautions. Um, but I would do either of them again, but the next one on the bucket list is actually right up there in Seattle, Washington, like maybe an hour North. And it's, uh, it's the only place in the United States that does it. And it's, and it's an, a full day course and it's wing walking where they, it's where you go on the top of the airplane and you're like on the wings of like a biplane and then they do like aerial tricks and shit and you're like strapped in. Yeah. It's the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. You when know? you get here, we are doing that together. Deal. You I get up like, here next. You know Cause like, I'm going to come up and do like a two day, three day trip. So like can like, wait, cause I think it starts at like, the, the course is like six in the morning. And by the time you're done with the safety thing and whatever, then you do it in the like afternoon. So it's like a whole day. It's like, if you're going to do, because at least in California, you can jump out of an airplane semi by yourself on the first time, like two people holding on to you um, and make sure that you open your chute. If you do like the six hour course. So it's kind of a similar thing, but it's like right up there in Washington and yeah so hopefully when it gets a little bit warmer i'll let you know i'm like we'll go wing walking absolutely i'm down for that and we'll also have you on the show we'll get you in the mobile studio and do something with that um yeah we'll talk about that later question uh again going to your kind of um i wouldn't say necessarily impulsive nature but are you a james bond fan huge 
<laughs> like, I mean, like, okay, my favorite, like, Pierce Brosnan. Like, when I was a kid, like, that was probably, like, the first rated R movie I ever saw. Or, like, it had to be, like, Goldeneye or something. And I was, like, six years old. And, like, my dad's like, all right. And, like, and then, like, yeah, my dad was such a big fan. And, like, had all of the, like, at the time, VHS. And then, like, eventually DVD. And, yeah, I mean, I, I played, like, Goldeneye religiously on, like, N64. Like, yeah. I, I got a little treat for you. I got to show you something here really quick. Um, because I myself am a James Bond fan. Hang on. Oh, no, I can't see. Oh. Oh, wait, there we go. It's my ringtone. <laughs> oh. So I've had a lot of people like, Dude, you got the James Bond ringtone? James Bond song for your ringtone? Like, yeah. I am a huge 007 fan. Always have been a 007 fan. Um, don't know what happened. Your camera got a little focus, out of focus there. Oh, there we go. Oh, uh. no. <laughs> well, I still got gotcha. you. We still got gotcha. you. Um, but yeah, I mean, huge James Bond fan. Have you seen the latest one? No Time to I Die? Have not yet. Okay. I won't say nothing about it. Uh, I am a huge fan of Daniel Craig, though um loved him since since it came out with casino royale and um all that fun stuff i think he really did a great job of reprising the role and, and taking it to where it needed to go on so many levels there we go back in oh, focus yeah. and uh yeah i mean james bond has just been I, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with it after daniel craig you know um yeah. you know because it's just gonna uh if they go with iris i'll be like you know fanboy it you know in a sense um but whatever direction they go it, it'll be pretty pretty awesome as long as it's not ben affleck or ashton kutcher i'm down <laughs> i don't here i think barbara broccoli i think it's barbara broccoli uh, who, who took it over from uh, the original um i think she said i will cast anyone of is it british uh uh uh, I just was reading this the other day. She'll cast anyone that's British in the role. I don't think she'll, she will not cast an American actor in the role. Um, is is the curious, whole, like, I wonder how Tom Hardy would do, you know, you know, you want to talk to Tom Hardy for a hot second. Um, I love him. I think he's great. He's phenomenal. I think he'd be great for it. Um, have you ever seen the movie Bronson? No. Check it out. It, it, it blows you. You don't even really recognize Tom in the movie. Um, it actually was never really released in the States. It was like released overseas. Didn't make it in the States. Wasn't that big of a hit. Bronson. And wait, uh, wait, wait, hold on. I think I, I think I did see this. He's, he was, the, it was about the story of Britain's most notorious uh, inmate in prison and all the crap that he did. And I mean, it's just a phenomenal piece of theatrical work i almost related up there to one of my what he looks huge in these photos yeah yeah i mean it was dude he was he was stacked and i almost relate it to one of those films like one of my top favorite films of all time a clockwork orange yeah and you know how you had malcolm mcdowell as a protagonist there you know tom brady is the protagonist as bronson and in that film then the cinematography on it is just phenomenal check it out if you get a chance to, to revisit it again um, but tom could be a really good james bond as well i think you know and speaking of acting and um you know performing 
do you become a different person when you get on stage and uh, do you become a, or do you, are you the same person or do you become a different person when you're off stage? What is that like? Is there a transition there? Um, yeah, I think a little bit like I, you know, performing really go above and beyond and out there and in like the sunburn world. I mean, I'm still kind of the goofy guy when I'm at home and doing my thing. Um, but then if I, I, you know, the public eyes and on me, I'm not as, you know, I'm more shy and timid and just doing that. But, you know, when I, I you know, I do like to like really put on a show. Um, and I mean, I grew up acting and stuff like that. So I always did like the spotlight and, you know, going above and beyond and, you know, any Halloween and stuff like that. Um, any opportunity I can, I will dress up for a set. And speaking of dressing up, I see there's a giraffe theme going on, giraffe onesie. Is there something behind that or something you gravitated towards? Why a giraffe? giraffe. So my, friend, my friend Tebow started just like, he's like, you are like this giraffe. It's like aggressively tall, like kind of like that. He's like, that's who I see who you are. And I'm like, okay. So I started playing into it more. And like, you know, I do a lot of it in my art and like, just it's uh, it's one of my spirit animals yeah and you mentioned giraffes are giraffes by nature aggressive yeah they're very like they're like i, I my friend sends me all these videos just like then they can like uh, fight off like packs of like lions just because they're like they're so big they can just like tramp like let alone just like trample um and they're so huge that like just a foot to the face with like you know, we'll just crush. Yeah. You know what I mean? I never, I always thought they were general or I'm sorry. Um, they were generally uh, more, more gentle creatures and, and, and herbivores. Uh, it sounds like. Yeah, no, they're so they, they attacked are. by a pack of drafts. No, 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 no. So they're not, they're not, they're not, I guess. Uh, so like, what is it? Uh, there's like, there's like defensive and then like, you know, going out of their way. They, they will only be aggressive if they're threatened oh. in their, you know, nature, you know, um, they're not going to like the draft, just like go like, like I'm going to eat some meat today. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, they will only like protect the young or like if they feel like, you know, that they're being surrounded, you know, by a pack of whatever. And, and you, and you mentioned, uh, you know, going back to, you started, you were a child actor, you did a lot of acting. I did a lot of acting um, from like middle school to like middle of high school. Yeah. Okay. Any any notable plays? Anything you you any roles that you really took on there that really defined your career? I was in drama in high school. I loved playing. I got to play Oberon in a Midsummer's Night Dream. I was like, nice, that totally right. fits me. I get it. I'll take it. I guess my big one was. I uh, gosh, I can't remember what role, but it was Macbeth. Um, but then like the Shakespearean stuff never did it for me. I got to do a lot of more of these, like um, what, what did it was more of this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it was more of these like smaller sketches, but a lot of it was kind of just like on, on the go playing off of each other. And we had to like wrap around back into like the theme of whatever it was. And yeah, but I also did like, I was going to school for film. so. I had to like be able to like always play in my movies or doing whatever. If like, I'm like, if my friend could not handle, I'm like, all right, 
you're going to hold the camera straight and I'm going to do this now. And like, so I always like knew exactly what to do for that and knew what I wanted, at least for film. So like I had a better idea. Yeah. It, it's funny. You mentioned that uh, when I got my first take, I was also into film or we had the first video camera on the block and my high school launched the first ever video production program in the state of Washington. This is in 1992. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, way back in the day and, but coming right out of high school, I got to work on an opportunity. I got, I, uh, three months out of high school, I started working on a public access television show, a hip hop television show. Oh, and the director of that show, the producer of that show always wanted to put me on front of the camera because I have this outgoing and personality. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 don't put me in front of the camera. And about two years after rolling with him, he's like, how come you don't want to be in front of the camera? And I'm like, well, because every I don't want to be talent because everyone that's in front of the town ta- in front of the camera, you know, they kind of they they get in front of the camera. It's like the shiny object. And then they, they bounce off and they go to the next shiny object. And I go, I want to learn more about the production and how this is produced and how this is distributed and how to get sponsors and, and be an executive producer. So my role was never to be in front of the camera, set the way clock 30 years later. Here I am doing interviews with you. Here I am talking with, you know, celebrities from all over the world. And it turns out that, you know, I just had a phone conversation with them last night and we're talking. It's like, hey, thank you for wanting to put putting me in front of the camera all those years ago. Uh, it kind of did help my self-esteem of, of being in front of the camera. Um I mean, I remember the first time I ever did a first a take for my first ever broadcast television show. I did 64 takes on a 30 second intro before I finally said, "Okay, we're stopping," just because I would take a wrong breath or I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wanted it so perfect if I was going to be on camera. Then I finally just threw it to the wind, and he said, "It was probably your second take that was the best one, wasn't it?" And I said, "Yeah, it was." So, you know, probably having that acting experience or onstage experience helped prepare you for your onstage experiences now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I would say all of the experience, like, you know, having to be comfortable. We're still, I think <laughs> it's pretty, it's probably pretty dark in here. Hold on. I just got a new camera because I, I cheaped out on a camera during COVID and it was just, I don't, there was no brand. It was just kind of more, uh, I don't know. <laughs> just if you Amazon, were on Amazon $40 deal. So um, if you were lucky to find one, that's um, I mean, it was, it was pretty dang. Oh, wow. Did you just turn the LEDs in your studio? Yeah. Yeah, man. That was. Yeah. You need like, no, cause it's like, I keep it so dark and like normally like the other camera would have to turn on all the lights. So I'm like, okay. Cause I usually <laughs> have these like candles and all this crazy other shit in here. Nice. No, I, I totally know the call it the great camera shortage of 2020. I mean, you couldn't find anything anywhere. Luckily, I'd had all my gear beforehand. Yeah. Uh, we can talk a little bit about that in a, in a hot second technology Ooh. and all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, being on stage, you know, prepping ourselves, you know, I don't think I still get nervous. I was asked to be on stage and just MC something the other day. Yeah. And I was not mentally prepared for it. I didn't come set up to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting on the mic. I'm not ready for it. I like to do a little prep work before I get on stage, you know, just have know what I'm saying, know what's going on and be ready to be dialed in and, and do a performance. And I still was like, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. I'm probably going to get a bunch of and ums. Uh, I'm not ready, you know, 
just to dive in because I was just kind of throwing on me. Um, but that being said, sometimes you got to kind of just grab the mic and roll with it yeah. and, uh, and jump up there. And then, and afterwards go, Oh, that was a lot of fun. So when you're not entertaining others, what do you do to entertain yourself? Um, I've been, I mean, going on so many adventures, um, lots of outdoor stuff. I've been getting super, super into art and then also fashion design as well too. So like my house is just a fucking mess at this point. Like there's an art studio and then there's a music studio and then like, there's like fabric and like all these like vinyl for t-shirt printing and everything. So I'm just like, okay, like what can I do today? Or what do I want to like? That's like where I started getting more and more into it. And then I also do a lot of video, uh, sorry, video and photo as well too. So it's kind of like, I have all these mediums and it's like, what do I really feel like doing today? And what do I have inspiration for today? And whatever crazy idea is going through my head the night before to try to execute. So like, I kind of just like jump back and forth between like, whatever it is and sometimes i'm juggling three things and like then i have a session and then i'm like okay then i'm painting and then yeah so like it really depends like um oh shit i I just i just installed like um a rotary phone in my studio like connected to my like bluetooth I, i bought an old old like antique rotary phone and it's just the fucking most hilarious thing. So there's like a Bluetooth adapter to a, like a landline. And then people are like sitting in the studio and they're like, oh, that's cool. And then like it just rings and I'm like, pick it up. Like, and they're like, they're like who is it? I'm like, I don't know. Like, you're going to find out. Like, hello? So it's, it's I can't believe because like I, I really wanted to do that. Um, because I have I have a landline that I guess came with my cable, but I was like, I don't see a phone outlet anywhere in this apartment. Like I'd have to call and do that. But even then I'm like, it defeats the purpose because I'm like, who's gonna call my home phone? Who even has my home phone? So like after some research, they're like, yo, there's like a Bluetooth, like, you know, adapter to a landline. So like you know, I might just throw a bunch of rotary phones in my house and see what That's it's actually awesome. kind of nice though, man. Cause like, I never, like, I'm, if I'm not wearing my Apple watch and I'm like in creative mode, which is usually like 2 PM till 4 AM, like, dude, if I don't have my phone, like it's a hit or miss if I know where it is and if I will respond back or whatever, but the rotary phone is like obnoxious and loud. And I'm always like excited to go see who it is, even if, it's just garbage. So did you have rotary phones growing up as a, as a kid in your house? My or grandma did- had an amazing one and I always wanted it. I don't know where it went, but like by the time it was, you know, like 10 years ago, like I, no one even thought to like keep these or whatever. I know I grew, always grew up with, um, it wasn't a rotary, but it was like a push, you know, push one. We, we got past the rotary and then eventually it was the handheld and that was a big thing. And then caller ID, um, memorize, memorizing phone numbers. Remember that one? Like, gosh, phone, I, yeah. Phone book. Yeah. I still, uh, 206-481-4081 was my childhood phone number. Um, kind of remember that. 
that was interesting. Still remember the street I grew up on uh, and the address there. Um, that being said, technology, all that fun stuff, you know, you have completed multiple degrees in music, music, um, um, audio engineering, production, and such. Do you feel that DJs should learn more about music theory or does it matter that much when it comes to dance music because the, the software and, and kind of can kind of do a lot of stuff for you. You can play around and in in in, in kind of dive in on your own and or just sort of watch YouTube videos. Um, do you think getting that formal education is something that, that is a must for producers now or just, you know, an added on addendum or caveat? So I don't really think there is a, a blanket kind of like what, because there's so many different types of producers. It depends on what you want, what you're trying to do and how, how much you're trying to accomplish and what you've come to set out. So like the more you, you know about engineering, the better that you could sit down in a room and run a vocal session and record correctly and then do the whole thing yourself. But then if you're only making techno, I mean, you know, like it's less melodic and you're more about how like sounds sonically sit together. And you're like, then if you're in pop music or more into rock, then you need to know every type of chord progression and like, you know, the pentatonic scales, jazz blues, like, and all stuff like that. And then the more instruments, you know, the more you can do. So at the end of the day, the more, you know, the more you can do. So like, if you can do it all and like, that's kind of what I set out is the more that I can do and I don't have to leave my house, I'm like, yo, I have better mics than half these fucking people. I don't want to go sit in another studio. Like, I rather bring them in. We can run the show how I want to do it. We can do it faster, better, and more efficient. And I never have to leave. And it's in, like, the comfort of my house. And we're not, like, it, it seems like every time you go to a studio or whatever, there's, like, a two-hour learning curve of, like, trying to get that to work, this and that. And they're like, well, I don't know. And so... The more that you can do, I think, from, you know, wherever it is that is, is home base for you, the better. Because um, I, I feel like that makes it a little bit more comfortable for people, too. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just about setting vibes and the correct intentions of what you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, I, like I, you I'm said, a... I think, I mean, music classes, I mean, yeah, that, that, that shit comes in handy. I mean, like I, I restarted taking piano lessons like a year ago. I'm really, really diving in. Even my friend is an amazing piano player who helps me a lot. Um, and then like playing guitar and like the more, the more that you know, um, the more that you can apply to your music. And that goes not only uh, like physically in like the music world, but then also sonically as an engineering and understanding what frequencies are doing. Cause there's kind of like, you know, I did, I did a lot of mentoring over 2020 and still do a couple of things here and there now, but so it's it's hard for some people to separate this like engineering side and then musical side where like you know producers these days like like you have to kind of have both like if you can like write music but then you can't really like engineer it then it kind of puts you uh you know in a, in a different position because then you're always relying on somebody else to like help take it to where it needs to be you know the the more that you put in and more that you can do it all on your own like that really sets you aside and then allows you to take all these ideas and then like that's when you can really like 
elevate your music to the next level because then you start thinking you know very differently and know how to apply all this stuff to you know maybe genres that don't seem like they mix you know and yeah i can completely relate to that on so many levels um you know about 20 years ago when i first started producing my shows um, you know, we would record with the VHS camera because we couldn't afford $50,000 beta cams to go to network TV. But, you know, you would record your show, you'd submit the tape to the public access station, they would play the tape and put it on the air. Same process when you went from to, to broadcast television. And I needed to learn. I knew I could shoot a camera, I could shoot all day long, but I didn't know how to edit. And so I came across Final Cut Pro in its early stages, like Final Cut 2. It's like 2001 in college. And I saw this editing class. I said, I'm taking that video editing class because if I give my stuff to an editor, they're going to have to edit it. I'm going to have to pay them 75 bucks an hour or whatever to do what I could do. And if I edit it, I know what I want to see. So I learned Final Cut Pro and eventually ended up becoming one of 300 people in the world that could train Final Cut Pro to people to train other people working for Apple. Yeah, so I used to work for Apple as a certified was this like mini trainer. DV, was this mini DV era? Uh, it was. It was Remember in the time right when you could use DVD Studio Pro and burn DVDs and and make DVDs. Um, you know, no, when, no, mini mini DV. Like I'm talking like the format. Oh yeah, mini DV. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. What 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 it was, what, like, what, it was it, like high eight, and those yep. were like the consumer, and then you had like yep. the VHS, which is like standard, and then the mini DV. I remember like having to capture all the mini DV tapes, like logging all that in to Final Cut. And then like, cause they taught Final Cut at my school. So I learned that, but then I was always an Adobe guy. So I'm still premiered to this day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, that, those were the days where like, you know, you had to watch everything and had to all go in and like you're playing back the tapes for like hours and unless in, unless you knew how to make edl lists and if you you had to stripe your tape before you it was i think it was called striping and boxing so you make sure your tapes are packed so there's no drift across the heads and all this kind of crazy stupid shit but you had to record your tape from zero and you had to record it all the way through so the time code would set and then when you did that, you could do an EDL list. And if you marked your EDL list down, you could go into Final Cut and you just plug in the time codes. And it would automatically rewind and fast forward and grab the clips for you with handles on it. Nobody <laughs> ever got that. We just logged the whole damn fucking thing into the computer and, and called it a day and then cut. And we got gigabytes upon gigabytes. And this is back when he didn't have a lot of hard drive space on these things, let alone render times. If I wanted to turn something black and white, you'd hit a button your computer was toast for Two eight hours. hours while it was just rendering out that one thing, black and white. And they're like, Oh, I got to go put this back in render oh. away. You know, you're like shit, you know, or, Oh, I put a crossfade in and you forgot to segment out that little one second, two second piece. And it changes the whole thing. You got to render the whole thing all over again, just for one little crossfade. I love final cut. I mean, I, I still use it to this day. Uh, I'll be an Apple guy always, but the editing software is all the same. DaVinci is actually making some headway here by Blackmagic, you know, a free editing program. Um, I haven't got a chance to play with it, although I use a lot of Blackmagic tools. There's switchers and, and things of that nature. It's supposed to be very robust, very powerful. Um, but editing is editing. If, you, if you're, you're basically taking footage that you shot, the things you're going to put on it is a fade in, a fade out. 
you're going to use a cut or you're going to do crossfade. Anything else is eye candy and nobody else is Lucas. So don't do the damn wipe transitions. You know, you don't You aren't making Jaws. You're not making Star Wars. Knock it the F off. You know, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from being creative, but 99.999% of what you see out there is those simple things. And, and iMovie can do that. You know, simple movie editors can do this when you're making videos. Simplicity um, is key, man. Overdone, but, especially like you said with the transitions to the fucking, but, like Steven Soderbergh, like moving across, like, you know. Like, yeah. It, but it doesn't look good if it's not film. Like, yeah. And and what, what basically what I was trying to relate to is is learning the the stuff. The more you know, the better it is for you, the faster you can get things done. I right now, even back in college, I had, I was going to school for business, but, you know, also taking video production, but there were the kids that were going to school for web design and I never wanted to know web design because at that point it was code. And I try to stay as far away as I can from code, let alone set the clock way forward. I have a whole advertising company that builds websites for small businesses. And I do it all to a point where I get right before the code level. And then I have my dev team go, okay, dev that out and figure that figure this code out. I just built our own brand new website, spent about three and a half months, 30 to 50 hours a week on this. I never had to touch one line of code myself. Luckily I had the dev team. I had two dev teams on it. That I could say, you fix that shit. I'm not dealing with it. I don't want to know if I can, I can look at it and read it, but the more, you know, you're right, the better. And now I'm building mobile apps. I'm building a VR nightclub and I'm literally talking to dev teams halfway around the world going, Hey, I understand I can look at this software. But I do not want to go spend, you know, hours upon hours learning Unity and learning the technical side and learning C++ and all this shit. That's what I'm paying you guys for. And my good friend of mine says, Darren, stop doing everything yourself. Start to, you know, let other people take on some of these jobs and you'll see things, you know, increase for you overall. And your stress think, level will be a lot less too. I think as a good, like, manager or even if you use the term producer it's you know i'm trying to remember who quoted but it's like be the best you can at like one or two things and not mediocre at the whole thing but what makes what makes you a good producer or product manager is being able to find all the different moving parts and who's best for the job or the project put it all together and voila, like, you know, like I might not be the best guitar player, but I'm not going to tell myself I am and sit there for eight hours trying to do it. But I could just bring in somebody who I know personally would be the, the best for the job and get it done. And, you know, an eighth of the time. The, the guy who taught us Final Cut Pro in college 20 years ago, I took on a project and was doing it for the school. And somebody asked me while we're sitting down with like the dean of the college and all these people in this big room and and he was there as kind of a technical advisor. And somebody said, so Darren, you have this person doing this and this person doing this and this person doing this. And uh, so what are you doing on the project? And the, the, the guy, the teacher pops up, Dan, and he goes, Darren's doing his job. He's the executive producer. He gets everyone in the room to do all the work and he sure. takes the credit for it. <laughs> and I'm Ooh. like, thanks, dude. But you were actually kind of, you were, he was kind of saying it on the like, spot. Kind of under, yeah, like, like, like I was like, I'll take credit I'll for that. that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean but, yeah, but yeah. I usually, I usually don't ever, I will never assign a task to somebody if I really can't do the task myself. Yeah. Like I grew up with my dad saying, Hey, what's the difference between me and the mechanic? The mechanic read the book. I can read the book. 
the mechanic has done it 150 times and that's why he can complete it in an hour or two. I can read the book. It just might take me eight hours. And at the end of the day, I learned something new. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's no secret there. I mean, you know, in that kind of sense. So it's just about your time management, what you value your time to be and and what you're going to get out of. If you have the time to learn, go for it. Sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. I'm a pretty busy yeah. guy. I always you know? do love to learn. So this is where I kind yeah. of go back and forth of like, I will always be there to learn and uh, figure out whatever it is. And like, I'm always interested, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to apply it on that project <laughs> uh, for whatever reason. Like, you know, I, for things to run smoothly or whatever, like, you know, I will uh, like whatever it is that I learned or whatever, I will attempt it maybe on something later, later on after I have a little more practices and that, but like, you know, it's like the first time I'm always like, okay, let me like watch and have a better understanding of whatever, whatever it is and then get it done, get the job done. And then in my spare time, dive in more. It's not, you're not like there to experiment, like, cause like, I see it all as time. And like, I'm not there to experiment on a project for like, you know, something that needs to be done. Um, like I can do that later on, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not gonna forget it. And then I can apply whatever it is I learned, whatever, like, you know, like recording techniques or this and that. I've been doing a lot of stuff with this choir that um, is in Australia. So like, I'm learning more about how to do that. And like the first two records, I was like, all right guys, send send everything back to me. But then I didn't really ask like how they went about recording it and this and that. So then like, uh, you know, over, you know, like more, the more I got into this, like using this gospel choir, um, the more information I found out on like, how to do choir stuff and then started applying it a little bit at a time and seeing, you know, was it good? Was it not? Because like, if you do this whole job and you don't know what you're doing and you do it, then you have to redo it, but you have to redo it the right way. So then you're backtrack and then you're on someone else's time. So, you know, if you feel that you can't write out the, like, you know, like if, you know, you never want to like walk in the studio, I guess with somebody and be like, Hey, you ready to do vocals today? Like, yeah, uh, maybe I, I think I can do it. Like, that's not reassuring to me and our time. Like, so you want to make sure that you have full confidence in yourself before like diving head first into something that you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, would you recommend a career as DJing and or producing to young kids? And what would be the pros and cons of, of, of that? Mm, it's kind of a tough one. I mean, it, 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 it comes with like a whole bag of shit and then like a great bag of st- like gold. Cause it's like, you have to, you know, like it's so interesting. Cause I talked to so many people about like, sometimes it's like, Oh my God, you have like the best life ever. And sometimes you're like, Holy shit. Like how the fuck do you do this? And like, there's like this like weird facade or like outside thing of like, yo, I'm like, flying on private jets everywhere and having my dick sucked on the way and like just this like crazy thing i'm like yo i'm like flying american like you know sometimes in some like weird ass janky hotel playing in like alabama like dude you just never know like you you have to do it all though because you have to hit all these places and you know so like there's that whole aspect of like can you handle touring um and then like you know, drugs and alcohol and like, how does that fit? And like, are you going to be able to like sustain this and like not go too far down that hole? And then on top of that, then you have to be a good producer and then have spent like hours and hours like making music. So like, 
There can be both. I guess it really depends on what your passion is and how much do you want it? Cause like I wanted to DJ and do the whole thing and I had multiple aliases fail, but then like just picked up and then started again and just whatever I could do to get, to get there. Um, so you have to also have like, you know, the drive and willpower. And there's a lot of kids that, you know, in this like past generation, like not the past, like this younger generation that like see things and everything is so easy these days that like, like, I'm like, dude, it took me like 10 years just to get to like, where when I was like, starting off. So like, you know, like, you're in for a long haul, you know, anything that happens so quickly and so fast, like the longevity to it isn't, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be the same, you know, like you'll be forgotten as fast as you come up, you know? So like the longer you incline up, the more longevity your career has versus if you just like blew up off some weird ass song. And then like two years later, no one knows who you are. So like, it's about that. And it's a lot of work on both aspects of like maintaining the touring, but then also being extremely creative. So like, I mean, I would tell anybody get, you know, if you can pull it off and you can figure out a way to make money, get a job in music, if that's what you want to do. If, if you can find a way to make it happen, make it happen. And for years I made it happen of like, you know, I was making other people's music. I was mentoring and mixing and mastering other people's stuff, doing whatever I could in that world to like, you know, pay the rent and like get by to do because I didn't want to like work. Like there was a point like 10, 11 years ago that I'm like, I'm never working a nine to five. And I want to figure out how to like utilize all these degrees and like make music a thing and, you know, like enjoy what I do. And like, because like if you're, I think if you're going to dive in head first with music, you have to be doing it all the time constantly because that's like how you will see the most exponential growth um within like not only yourself but your music and everything like that if you work you know eight hours a day another job and then you come and do two hours three hours of music you're not applying the same thing where versus like if you're like teaching somebody or making other people's music or whatever it is in the music world you know 50 60 hours a week that will translate so much in like two three years um versus you know 10 hours a week so absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. You mentioned about overnight sensation and, you know, I was looking at your bio here and it was in May of 2014 that the sunburn project was launched. And, um, you know, I noticed it said that, you know, after getting some notoriety, even, you know, being, being recognized with direct support from Pete Tong on BBC radio one, that the sunburn brand has rapidly solidified itself as an overnight sensation in the indie dance and house music worlds. Um, but that was the sunburn project that wasn't, you know, Kevin Chapman from day one. So you said it took time yeah, to so, get so to back, the sunburn so, project. And so, and so when, uh, so as I elaborate to that, so it was years and years and years of building this to where it needed to be. And we had all like, like my team had like organized exactly what we were going to do. So like when we came out with like the first one, we already had the plan for the next two years. So it wasn't like, I'm going to throw this out there and see what happens. And all of a sudden it's like that. It's like, no, no, no. Like it was like, we had the concept and ideas to uh, really like my team was like, yo, we should put like one of these remixes out every two weeks of these like indie remixes. And then we started getting in the studio. And then from there, it was just like, 
the amount of originals and everything from Gangster Walk to like Beat the Sunrise with Andrew Watt and all were all ready to go. So that when it like when that one record blew up, it was go time. And like we like the plan just like unfolded versus like I said, like if you have no if I had no experience DJing and whatever and I, I was making fucking dubstep or like what like a different genre like two weeks earlier and just did this and threw it out there then you're kind of like are you known by this or like what's the plan what are you gonna do like is this even something that you want to do like did you was it a mistake that's another thing I like I tell kids like yeah whatever you put out there be damn sure that that's what you want to be associated with you because like you never know what's gonna blow up and then you're associated by that for the rest of your life you know so you can't like take that back so if you're just throwing out music to throw out music and don't have like a care and you just want to see whatever, like, dude, you could be known as like, dude, the tropical house guy for some like remixes that you did. Like, you know what I mean? Who knows? So I think all the years of like being an opening DJ and then having brands that failed and like really going like, how do we do, how do we, like, I create something different um, and unique to myself, but also like, have some similarities to what's going on and like just go for it and i think that like falling and like falling and failing helped to build this brand and like we sat down and i was like yo here's the name and then like they just like my team was like holy fuck okay like this could be so marketable like and i was like i i wanted i i love i loved mastercraft too at the time and that was like the only one that i like can think of that like started the Noval at least like you know in 2011 or whenever I created it and yeah so like you know it's it's interesting because you know I was like the second you know one of the record I my Dirty South remix blew up and I got my agent and he's like are you ready to go I'm like dude I, I've been ready to go so like it, you know versus like I've seen kids like flying out with a controller and like, yeah, it's like my second time DJing. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I'm like, and you got booked. Like that, that just like blows my mind of like, yo, know, these, like some of these people like have never played anywhere ever like, done a live performance. And then it's like, boom, they're in like in a show and like have to learn how to do it. Like that's gotta be so stressful. Like I couldn't even imagine. And um, yeah, cause it's like back to the sustainability of like, Put out what you want to put out and represent yourself and be prepared that that will be what you're represented by because you never know. Yeah, I, I definitely like, I think one of the key things that that resonated with me out of that was having a plan and knowing after all your experience that when you're going to get ready to move forward, you're not just going to throw a bunch of stuff out there and see what sticks to the wall. You're like, I have a one year or two year plan. The DJ I, I showed you earlier that was on the, the roller coaster ride with me, uh, Sergey Andre Cool. You know, one of the things I said, it said, dude, I mean, I'll, I'll show you. This is like my simple to-do list. <laughs> like, this is my plan. This is, this makes no sense to anyone else in the world but me. This is like code. And I have a whole coffee table book I'm going to make one of these days of all my to-do lists and like with anecdotes of where I was at and everything. But knowing that you have a plan, knowing that you're working on towards something, I said, hey, let's set you a plan. Like, maybe you should set yourself a goal. And get yourself like 12 bookings a year and six of those bookings should be out of state and six of the three of those six bookings should be opening right before the headliner. Three of those could be opening 
yourself and then, you know, setting your timeline for releasing a track and, 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 you know, setting like one track every quarter or something like, you know, put some time, put some goals out there so you can measure these things and hold yourself accountable and create a direction of where you want to be in a year or two, or what's your, I call it the 30, 60, 90, six month, one year, two year, five year plan. You put that down, you can always adjust the stuff to what happens, but at least you have a direction of where you're going and you know what you want to see. And you can say, oh, I didn't make that benchmark. Oh, I got to ramp things up. I better get on the ball. I better start getting that. Like I have a goal to do one interview with, with, with somebody like yourself per week. Things got in the way. I start events started picking back up. Didn't do that. But in the month of December, I got like 16 interviews scheduled. So I'm going to make up for 16 missed weeks coming into 2022, but I got to get on the ball and make myself make sure I'm living up to that promise. So um, setting goals and setting benchmarks and having a plan, I, I really resonated that with you. And it's awesome that you have a team that also helps you support that. Um, surrounding yourself with the right people, I think can also be a huge positive uh, win. I saw something recently, somebody said, I'm not pouring anything out of my cup into other people's cups that aren't pouring stuff back into my cups, you know, oh you know, and I was like, I saw that today on Facebook and I'm like, yeah. And it's not like that. I don't want to share that. I, I, I'm always 98. I've always said, well, now I've knocked it down to 97%, 98% of all the information that I've ever gained has been by me going up and picking up a book, going to the internet, talking with somebody, researching, asking questions. So I will freely give away information to people. I won't give away my, my Rolodex, you know, <laughs> my database of certain things. Um, and there's not a lot of tricks to the, to the nature and the sense of things. I mean, but being persistent, you can't teach persistence. You can't teach proper planning. I think what is it? The, the six P's of the Marine Corps is proper planning pre prevents piss poor performance or something like that. You know, my dad grew up, my dad was that proper planning prevents poor performance. Okay. The six P's. Um, you know, and if you have that proper plan in place, it's, you, you know, that what you're looking to go get, and you can adjust to make sure you're getting there, uh, yeah. whether it's a small little bump in the road or a major hurdle. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you for that insight. Um, speaking about overnight successes and, and becoming big in the sense of things at clubs and other dance events, uh, should people look at DJs like they are rock stars or would it be more fun if DJs were more slightly anonymous and, and just part of the, the bigger event? What is your take on that? I think it really kind of depends on the personality of the person, like of like who it is and what they want to do. You know what I mean? There are uh, like DJs that are like the rock star and the ones that like are very like, cause like that's the one thing about being a DJ is like, you can be very shy and like, you don't have to have the super outgoing personality. So like it kind of differs on like what, the person wants to be you know what i mean no one should be like put so high on a pedestal like i mean like like guns and rose and uh, guns and roses era of like you know show up in like brazil and there's like ten thousand people outside their hotel room like i mean i don't know if we'll ever see that kind of shit these days of just like uh, the idolization of like celebrities to like that degree i mean i don't you know i don't know i mean it's got to be exhausting um like if you want, if you like wanted that, I guess you could create that for yourself because you could create whatever, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I guess, so like <laughs> back to the question. So at best, like 
like I mean, I walk around festivals all the time. Um, if people recognize me, they recognize me, and they're you know generally people are polite or this and that. It's like you know like, and that's just kind of like you know you're not gonna go. Uh, what was it like John like the John Newman where like dude he's like asked for an autograph. I was going to the bathroom, and at that point he decided no autographs ever again. Like so like. It, like, I feel like the dance community is really respectful and nice in that sense of like not overwhelming to a degree. Um, and it also is like your personality of like, if you're like more reserved, like you less likely than like, you know, like everybody will go up to Dr. Fresh because Dr. Fresh will go up to everybody to begin with. So like what you get out and like what you put out there is what you get back. So it, you know, it goes both ways and yeah. I'm a huge Dr. Fresh fan, by the way. I, I just, I mean, uh, got turned on to him about two years ago and uh, just love everything he, he produces. I think he was just here in Seattle not too long ago. Um, and speaking of DJs, favorite DJs, Dr. Fresh being one of mine, who's your favorite DJ? And and tell us why. Uh, like, okay, let's go. Let's just go with like classics. Um. You know, I, I watch a Carl Cox set, especially a Carl Cox disco set any day. And then also watching like Fat Boy Slim, like that's some crazy shit. I like that guy's got more energy than I, like I've ever seen. But then also I do really enjoy, you know, um, fuck, like watching a live show, but that doesn't count as DJing, I guess. So like. No, it, 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 I guess you know, DJ like, slash performer. Yeah, the there's electronic. a lot of like, uh, like the Fred again doing that or like Rufus, like just like that shit is so sick to me having the whole live aspect of, you know, even Moby doing like, he redid like play live and like that shit was so sick. Like, yeah. And you mentioned a little bit about uh, watching, you know, who you would watch um, when live streaming came about and kind of hit the forefront in a major way last year. Uh, you know, I've been live streaming since, you know, basically 2007 and doing a DJ live stream show since 2009. And, um, you know, what changed my mind, we were doing it two years before the boiler room came out. And I had, um, it was, a, it was a kind of a freak chance. I had interviewed Dave Dresden at winter music conference in 2009. And he was coming to Seattle in late 2009 when I'd started up the DJ sessions and I reached out to his PR team and said, hey, would he be willing to come by my studio, which was my bedroom at the time, <laughs> and say, would he be able to come by the studio and do an interview? And I just threw in the and or play a set. And they were like, yeah, of course, he'd be more than happy to come by your show and do something for you and play a set. And so I had like about 10 of my friends in the house and Dave Dresden comes over. My apartment was probably half the size of what it is now. It was a studio, but it was really a one bedroom. And I'd set up my multi-cam setup. And, and what happened there was uh, Dave Justin played a set and I sat back and said, I'm fucking on to something here. You know, I mean, there was radio shows, but as far as live streaming, I hadn't seen anything streaming, live streaming video, A-list celebrities. And, and uh, you know, kind of went from there and that kind of like spawned the DJ sessions and, and taking it onto the next thing, which was a major influence for me. And so I guess who or what, in, as far as live streaming goes, have you looked into that and and looked at that as a medium as as reaching more of an audience? Um, I feel like in 20, 2020, it was like becoming more and more a thing. But then I, I just with anything I do, I just like too fast, too quick. Like 
it became I was like, yo, how many how many of these things do I have to watch and how many things do I have to do that it got like oh, like exhausting. Um, I I love for me circle and it's like you know I like the, the cons- like doing consistently awesome places throughout the world and it's about the location and making something special like to do a stream to just do a stream of me like so many it can only be done so many times where it's just like okay like yeah you know and uh, I, I, I do I get so divided because like every time that I was like the live stream I'm like yo we got to step the game up I'm like yo let's sneak onto the helipad of my building like what can we do like let's hang off the balcony like like just like what you know trying to make it special because you also have to think of this aspect that like a lot of like you know like djs didn't is that it's not just like the sonics and like you have to be visually entertaining or people just kind of tune out so like you're putting on a show like make sure you have like multiple cuts that's not just this long wide cut of you and like you standing around like so like there's ones where like all right i put like a piece of like plywood over my sink and dj'd in the kitchen well then like i had people like my homies like fucking doing weird shit in the background like the whole time of like all right what costume like what's coming next like you know like then the like my cat djing with the cat and you know I've been through it all. I, I was there. I, I actually, we took a step back. We were actually working on a lot of licensing rights and, and permissions and stuff of that nature. You can probably identify with that when it comes to copyright and, and all that fun stuff. Um, but most people didn't. My phone was ringing off the hook like crazy. We were just in talking with a deal to go to the front page of Twitch again. And they had a whole new music team there that I, that we couldn't have predicted what happened last year in the in the live streaming world of the massive ramp up. And what I saw, you know, I saw the industry kind of go where it normally is a progression curve where people kind of gradually slow into it and rise up. It kind of just went straight up like this and wherever you were at on the scale, you kind of remain there. And some names got bigger, but everyone was throwing everything they could at this live streaming thing. And I was telling people in interviews that I was doing last year, uh, when I was being interviewed that we're going to see a 60 to 80% drop in consumer create in content creation. And we're going to see a 68% drop in content consumption because people are going to want to go back outdoors again. Yeah. They're not going to be wanting to sit in front of a computer. They aren't going to want to, what's the latest and greatest thing. I already saw 5 million posts on my social media saying, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. And who do I combat for? I can only watch one set at a time. Yeah. And you can't go back and really watch unless your system like ours, we, we built it so you can go back and watch our old videos. No system was built. So if you watch the old videos, they'd all be red flagged for copyright violations. So you're watching a set and six minute blocks are missing. So you're not getting the experience unless you were there watching it. So I think a lot of people that turn into that producer realm, in my opinion, after being a video producer for 30 years, being broadcast television, they got disenfranchised in that medium thinking that that was going to be a form of success or form from when they had no branding, they had no plan, they had no rollout strategy or, or they didn't even have their own website, you know, or, or, you know, their socials were, were really, they were relying on their socials, not under even understanding how social media works, you know, unfortunately. So, um, well, you know, I, it's just, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, there's one, like, like you touched, like, this huge spike and then huge drop. And it, and it happens so quick. Cause like, 
I was watching, you know, like it was like there was three festivals, did online festivals a week. And then like, you know, as it picked up more and more and more, but yeah, you know, like the one thing was that we all had so much fucking time in our houses. Like now it's like, dude, I can't even tell you how many shows I've done this year and like where I've been and like even like trying like because like I, I got a lot of the album done early in 2021. And like now I'm like, fuck, I have like one week, but then like I'm like, shit, I need to take my car and I need to like go run errands. Like, I don't have any groceries. I need to go do that. And then like, so like there's so much more of like life that you have to like live. Um, that you don't, we don't have this time like almost bored out of our minds, like trying to like find anything, like, you know watching netflix twice the whole thing you know exactly i mean just the it was great though from this aspect is um in in march or february of 2020 if i walked up to somebody and i said oh we're a live streaming dj show we're a twitch featured partner and they'd be like who wants to watch a dj show on on online I'm like, well, have you ever heard of something called the boiler room? Apparently millions of people around the world love watching DJs and watching the sets and listening. Or did you ever listen to a radio show? Uh, you ever listen to the radio? You, you're listening to a live DJ playing music over the, the radio right there. And uh, two, they didn't even know what Twitch was. You know, like they'd like, I'd have to explain them and say, okay, you know how Google owns YouTube? And they go, yeah, I go, okay, Amazon owns Twitch. And they go, oh, so it's like a heavy player. Now that conversation, I, I don't even have to have that conversation. Um, I can still be like, oh yeah, we have a live streaming DJ show. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. Okay, you're, you kind of made it out of it. And I'm like, well, we were always going to make it out of it because I had a plan. <laughs> you had the plan. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see the future where things are going. And are you looking into anything into the VR world? Have you been playing around with VR at all? Or you got an Oculus or looking into that? Um, I have not. I did a couple of digital parties earlier this year, um, but that world uh, I have not dabbled in. Uh, the, you know, art and creating NFTs, like I'm going to do a lot of stuff within that because like, you know, I love, I love art um, to begin with. And then like, there's like one, uh, um, amazing artists that like I commissioned like the album cover um, that I want to work with and then also my tattoo artist is another amazing oil painter that will be then like you know collaborated in this like uh, nft for the album and yeah this like you know combining all like the you know uh, bodies of work and people that I enjoy together and to like you know like and not a lot of people and not a lot of art like if you're into that kind of stuff, like you either like super in it and like all in the like graphic versus like, you know, people that are like different format painter painters or whatever, like they're like, what's an NFT? And you know, so like you have to, I don't know, I'm I'm in an awesome position where I go like, yo, you got you fucking talented. I like love your shit. Like, why don't we do some kind of collaboration and I can show you this world, you show me your world, and you know, it kind of becomes a beautiful thing. Glad you brought up NFTs because I was going to mention that earlier when you spoke about having an art studio in your house and, and, and technology and a lot of musicians as well. They're making tracks and they're NFT in the tracks, they're NFT in artwork, the album cover for that. Uh, I was talking, a friend of mine calls me yesterday morning says, hey, Darren, I used to work for this advertising company. And do they have anything for advertising in virtual reality yet? And I go, as a matter of fact, let's dive into this. And I got in about 15 minutes in the conversation with her and I'm like, 
you know what? We need to go have dinner because this is a rabbit hole. We're about to go down. And, you know, about even having, you know, buying virtual plots of land and then putting your AR into that virtual plot of land in, in highly notable areas and buying that property like virtual real estate. But then talking with my other friend who I've, who I've kind of gotten the VR chats with about how we're going to build the VR nightclub or you can build the VR art museum and you can put those NFTs in the art museum and kind of put them as a, as a gallery of NFTs in the gallery and swap that. And people could come and visit the gallery and say, I want to buy that NFT. I want to buy that piece and have that. And, you know, obviously arts artists that are making physical world works, but then you get that NFT um, digital single digital that goes with it and it transfers wherever it goes when the piece of artwork sells as well. And I was talking with somebody recently, I think it was yesterday and they're like, well, we looked at NFTs as the hype when it first came out, but what's the difference between an NFT and me just ripping a screenshot of it and then I got a copy of it? And I was like, yeah, you got a good point there. So I brought that up to my friend yesterday and he's like, no, 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 bro, you're not getting this, man. You're not getting this. You've got to understand why NFTs are so powerful. I talked to my other guy who's my crypto expert <laughs> and he's like, wait till Ethereum, Ethereum 2.0 comes out. That's when we're going to see the whole shift because a lot of it's based on that and he's looking at starting at nfts and i was like oh gosh maybe i could nft all my past 2200 episodes of the dj sessions you know and then somebody could own like they own the original i, I don't know man i'm diving in i'm looking into it it's like something that's pretty awesome here especially you know with the with the, the advent of of, of, of cryptocurrencies coming out and having wow. original works. And, and, and maybe there is a limited edition, you know, you could release 5,000 tracks that are NFTs. It's like, it's like almost releasing an album again. And you only have that, the album of that and what's the value and worth of that. But my friend was telling me there's people that are buying NFTs and along with that NFT comes along with a ticket. If you own the NFT, you get a ticket to that event yeah. forever as long as you, you hold the hold NFT on, to hold that. Onto it. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, two, two points here is like, one, it allows artists of all types to like take control back of like owning and actually making money off of their bodies of work. You know, mm -hmm. the music industry uh, is notorious for like, they make all the money and the artists don't see shit. Um, so for that to come back into the, uh, like the actual artist world and then really see uh, them the ownership of that going out there and you know artists getting paid finally that's a huge huge factor and then the other one is like dude Justin Blau and like how he's gonna about all of his are unreal about like you know I will come to you and perform like whatever set like secret like whatever set for you within there and making it like extremely special versus like you know you can tell the ones that are just like thrown out there, like what's going to make it differentiate and like hold, really holding on to that. And I think people invested like, yo, this is going to be worth a lot in like three, four years. And like, yeah, whatever it may be, make it interesting um, and make it something that people want to have and special putting yeah. time and effort and care into what it is that you're putting out there. And um, I feel like that will really, you know, differentiate what will sell and what will be something you know that just kind of falls through the cracks because yeah you know people can't just just throw a random thing up there and hope well, yeah especially in the dollars, you know? yeah especially in the digital realm i mean if you looked at it and 
like in the VR realm, if if something came in there and one of these ends and said, you can only place NFT artwork in here because you have the rights to do that. You know, then somebody has to go, okay, I want to get that piece of artwork and I want to put it in my virtual room. I need to go purchase the virtual artwork for that. And the artist is going to get their, their, their cut or their pay, you know, yeah. for that. That would be something phenomenal rather than just being able to steal graphics from wherever I want and throw them in. And somebody has to go in there and manage that. There's not going to be any algorithm that's going to scan for images inside of a VR world and say, that's a copywritten image. You can't use that. You know, or even how do they, how are they going to sound? How are they going to, um, you know, YouTube and well, I mean, Facebook horizons might be able to do it. I won't go down this rabbit hole too much, but yeah, I was like, but, the protection <laughs> software yeah. uh, these days is is getting absurd. Yeah. You know, the fact that like you know Shazam and like you know before you even upload stuff to like Spotify through the back end or SoundCloud, it can tell you already if it's pirated or like you who owns and then who's a the copyright holder and like. But it also goes back to this, like, you know, art for ever. You could take a photo and be like, all right, I got it. Or like, you know what I mean? Or you like buy like a print, but like, it's not the same. So like, there's something at least to collectors and to people, you know, of like, oh, and like knowing that they own it. And like, I think a little bit's about like, at least in the art world, there's a bit of like this like ego bragging right kind of deal of like, hey, I own this. I have this, like, uh, this is the original. And you know what I mean? Like. So it's like, a, it's a collector's world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, with the success of NFTs and things rising and, and you know, cryptocurrencies coming out there and things are going, these are investments that people are looking for in the long run. I mean, there's a collectible side to it, but there's an investment, there's a sales side to it as well. Success typically doesn't always last forever for a musician or artist. What do you do? to save up for the future? What do you invest your, your earnings in? Is there any tricks or insights to what Sunburn is on a strategy plan to say, I'm going to retire on an island in, you know, in, in 2032 and that's it. And or I'm going to start throwing my parties there and that's my new business goal. Is that, do you have any investment strategies or, or plans? For I some- mean, I tell so many people, I'm like, I invest in myself and everything to build for the next 10 years till I'm 40 the brand is big as possible because then the more recognition, the more powerful that empire is. If there's a, like, you know, my record label that surrounds that, the bigger that gets everything that then when I'm like, you know, 10 years, if I want to like really, really slow down, then I have all the different kind of like businesses set up for it and they can sit back and they, they run themselves. And I'm like, you know, I get to like then uh, jump on and then be a part of like, like, you know, almost like management of like, being able to like find the new talent and like cutting deals with them of like help building who I think would be like the next big acts and like that. And then also like, you know, getting into pop music, like pop music and other writing and stuff for that. Of like, I always want to be doing music. Doesn't mean I always want to be touring when I'm like 45. We'll see. I don't know. Um, so like, I want to have all the different things created, but the more powerful the brand gets and more recognizable, you know, like going forward, like, you know, if, if it hits, if I hit like a dip low level and then I'm there, like, you know, if I retire and it's like, I, uh, you know, make someone else's music, I can charge a lot more if I, uh, you know, the bigger I've built the brand. So that's what I see as like my big, big investments. I got, I mean, I, 
I still have a good amount of crypto and that's just like fun money and not fun money, but like, you know, I'm willing to lose it all. Uh, I mean, I had to sell a lot of stuff um, in 2020 just to stay afloat. So I'm getting more and more back into my investment side and like playing the stock market a little bit, but you know, property is a good one. Um, and yeah, I think owning stuff, it, it's interesting. Cause like they usually say that like cars, like depreciate in value, but because of like everything going on with the shortage of like models and stuff like that, just due to shipping, you know, I've had like four friends go like the dealership has bought my car back from last year, like at a higher price than I even got it for just because they're trying to get that model. It's like everything is just like, I, I don't even know, like, like all, everything we've been told is just kind of like up in the air at this point, you just have to kind of make the best assessment that you can. And yeah, I, I totally I, I know what you mean there. And, and again, going back to that plan, uh, I told my team it was it was we're coming into 2020 and, and said, look, my goal this year is to be in the low six figure range with the company within a year. I want to be in the mid six figure range within two years after that. I want to be breaking seven figures with the company and people come to me and they look and they're like, are you are you, are you insane? Like. I guess it's funny being on this side of the fence when you're on the planning stages and people don't know all the conversations and things that are going on. I'm like, yes, I'm very fucking serious about this. Like very serious. Like it's happening. They're like, what? And they're like, what did you think I've been doing all this time? You thought I was just running around with a video camera filming and putting stuff on the internet? No, <laughs> I've executive. I, I do this. This is my job. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. So again, having that plan, but investing back in yourself. And, 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 and also it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, financial investing in yourself. I would call it almost also spiritually investing in yourself or reciprocated energy back into yourself. When I was saying earlier, I saw that, that meme, about you know, I'm only pouring my cup into people's cups that are pouring back into mine. You know, it's not to be selfish with my time, selfish with my energy and stuff, but I went through multiple times of burning out and wasn't realizing why I was getting burnt out because I was doing so much and not and getting very little in reciprocal back, not even the acknowledgement of, I mean, people would be on my shows, spend all this time recording them. And then they'd say, Oh, can I get an MP3 recording of the show? And then I go, yeah, sure. As a friend, your homie, I'll hook it up for you. They go throw it to their SoundCloud. They wouldn't even mention who did the recording. And I'm like, dude, I just spent four hours in the studio doing this for you. You're not even, and then I see them post on Facebook saying, check out one of my latest mixes. And I'm like, you aren't even going to say who recorded it. Like you aren't even going to put a link to the show that you were just on. So, I mean, people don't understand why I charge minimal fee. I charge, I, if I put, if you want a licensed copy of your show, you're paying me 75 bucks for that, you know, cause it's a one hour show. You're paying me 75 bucks for it. And uh, you, you are licensed to use, I can revoke that license from you at any time I want. One, two, or you can just use the free link and share our link. You make the choice. And I've had people actually give me flat. You're charging me $75 for a performance that I'm doing on your show. I go, how about I charge you for the studio time that it costs for me to do all this in promotions and marketing and social media and exposure you're getting for being on my show? Hmm, about three, $4,000. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't want to pay that. And I'm like, dude, this costs me plus my time and my expertise and everything. So wow. again, making sure that those energies are reciprocated is kind of what I was getting back, making sure that that, that, that happens financially and, and spiritually or, or, or energy wise, but Hey, I'm going to wrap up here. I, I hope the rain is cleared up by now. Uh, maybe 
<laughs> don't know. I mean, I already plan to be in here all day anyway. So yeah, it's not raining here. It is an overcast, wonderful day. Overcast, awesome vitamin D taken day here at in the Seattle virtual studios. Is there anything you want to let our DJ sessions fans know about before we let you get back to work in the studio? Um, I just want to like let you guys know I have my new album, The Old Days, coming out early this year. Um, I have a remix later this year for Lewis the Child. Um and yeah, I just finishing out the year strong here in the studio and can't wait to show you guys what's in store for 2022. All right. Awesome. And I can't wait till you get back to Seattle because I'm looking forward to doing that wing walking with oh, you. It, it's on. I mean, it, do, do you actually get a walk back and forth on the wing or they just strap you in? It's called wing walking, but like you're okay. like, it's like kind of a post in the center. I mean, you're fucking strapped in because they're doing like, like you know the acrobatic like barrel barrel roll flips like all that shit and you're just like like i don't know it dude it's nuts you have an idea i got an idea for each of our trips what we'll do is we'll hire him to put a smoke trail on the back of the plane and the one of them will spell sunburn and one of them will spell the dj sessions while we're flying in the air (laughs) they come back and i'm just like asleep like (laughs) awesome well, where can people find out more information about you and what you got going on? You can check me out on social media at uh, facebook.com slash sunburn. Instagram is sunburn. SoundCloud is sunburn. Um, yeah. And check me out on Spotify as well, too, and Apple Music. All right. And folks, remember, that's S-N-B-R-N. And, and check them out. Look them up online all over the place. Sunburn, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Have fun out there. And don't forget to go to our website, thedjsessions.com. Find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, Twitter us, hashtag the DJ sessions or TDJS if you're so bold. This is Darren and Sunburn. I always point the wrong way when I'm in the, I don't know which way you're on, in the studio in LA and I'm in Seattle for the DJ sessions, presents the virtual sessions. And you know, on the DJ sessions, the music never stops. <laughs>